Hello, and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors' Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate, and inspire performers. To find out more, visit www.equityfoundation.org.au. Okay, good morning, everyone, and good afternoon to those uh, in the Eastern States. My name is Alex Jones, and I'm the Program Manager of the Equity Foundation. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing our special guest, actor Kate Walsh, and president of WA Equity, Stuart Hallis, who, in his capacity as president, is also a member of the National Performance Committee, also part of the Wellness Committee and the Intimacy Committee. So thank you to both Stuart and Kate. Before we commence, I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nations and pay my respects to all the traditional owners of country and all throughout our country and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters and culture and that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. I wanna take a minute to thank the Equity Foundation's principal sponsor, Media Super. Media Super has supported the foundation since our beginning in the early 2000s. They are your industry super fund and they can help you with your superannuation and provide you with all the financial advice and support you to a comfortable retirement. They have financial advisors and they really can help you. If you don't have a contact for them, contact me and I can put you in contact with them. There'll be time for questions at the end of the session. And of course, apologies if we run out of time before we answer your question. Okay, so please welcome Kate and Stuart. Thank you so much, Alex, and welcome everybody. I'd like to echo the acknowledgement of country and pay my respects to the Wadjuk people of the Noongar Nation, who are the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which I and Kate are sitting and meeting. And pay my respects to elders past and present and extend that acknowledgement to traditional owners right around the country because we have people zooming in from all around Australia and of course, across the Tasman to our friends and colleagues in New Zealand. Welcome one and all. So thank you so much, Kate, for joining us. This is a fantastic opportunity to get to know you, to get to have a chat about your process, your career, how you go about navigating the uh, sometimes perilous but always rewarding waters of being a working, jobbing, gigging actor. And of course, for someone who you know, I'm sure all of you are aware of Kate's work and have looked at um, your CV is huge from massive you know, international films, uh, such as the recent uh, film, Honest Thief, 13 Reasons Why, um, Umbrella Academy, of course, and Netflix shows, working across television, as well as theatre. Um, one of those actors who can bridge the different mediums and formats that we all work in. And it's not something that everybody can do. Um, and yet here I am talking to you in sunny Western Australia. Uh, I understand you were here visiting some friends a few months ago when the world changed and <laughs> you're still here. And I am, enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that weird relative who just won't leave. You're like, wait, yeah. you're supposed to be here on the couch for a week and now you just live here. <laughs> <laughs> so if someone said to you, Kate, you know, 12 months ago, in 12 months time, you'll be um, living in Western, Perth, Western Australia, and you'll have just closed a very successful production of The Other Place at a newly established Fremantle Theatre Company. What would you have said to them? If anybody was said, you're gonna be in Perth, I'd say, 
wait, where, where is that again? And honestly, and that's embarrassing, but that just goes to show how, you know, I won't speak for all Americans, but I'll say I'm, you know, geographically, I wouldn't say challenged because I've traveled quite a bit, but I will just say that sadly, or for whatever, for most people in the States, what we know about Australia are that, you know, native peoples and, you know, kangaroos. And I'm not kidding. Like that's really, or, you know, crocodile Dundee. Like it's really like that until the last, so in a, in a sense, this is a very weird rambling response, but COVID has been a massive gift to the world in terms of, um, in many ways, I think of Australia being put on the map in a, in a much different way, particularly for, t for television and film, for sure. Um, but also how Australia, I mean, New Zealand clearly as well, um, has handled COVID. Mm. And suddenly it's like Australia is the, you know, the pretty girl at the dance, if you will, you know, and everyone's like, ooh, so should we go there? Should we like, you know, and it's um, not just commerce, but I think it's, you know, since I was, uh, I call it pandemic here, I'm using that as a verb. I, uh, I've been talking to a lot of people back home, but a lot of people in the industry and like, you know, for instance, just as an example, Netflix the woman who's in charge now and based in Singapore, but of her associates are in Sydney and is in charge of all Southern hemisphere, basically uh, content, international content for Netflix. And her main focus is not just on Australia, but on native storytelling and on Australian stories. And that's really important and really exciting. So I think there's so many opportunities that have come out of this mad mad world and time of you know great misfortune unfortunately and um and, and hardship and, and for so many mm. but are, the silver lining is that i think that there's a massive potential for new industry here um not just in terms of you know studio building um or um doing a play which was i think maybe literally the only play that was going on or one of the only in the world um but, but also storytelling and getting um, indigenous Australian stories out to the world at large, which I think is massively exciting and, uh, and is a new world for me. And, uh, and I think just, yeah, I'm excited about it. Fantastic. I, I love what you said about the, the, the attitude behind the pandemic being a gift in some ways and the opportunities that that throws up. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that or ask questions around that in a moment. Um, just specifically going back to uh, the, the, the film sector industry here in, in Western Australia, I know you've been doing a lot of advocacy, Kate, for that, working at various levels of government and agitating for movement in this direction, which is something that Western Australia has been pushing for for about three decades, I think, and maybe yeah, more. <laughs> it's been a long time coming. Um, <laughs> How, how, what's your, your hope for that? How do you feel that's, that's moving? And can you see the potential in Western Australia, not just in our um, geographical locations and our climate for shooting and that sort of thing, but also with the skill sets that we've got here and the, um, the, the people that you've worked with whilst you've been here in WA, how have you found that as a working actor? Well, I've it's in, it's been incredible. So I'll, let me, the people that I've worked with are just top notch and incredibly talented. You know, I just did this, as you said, this play called The Other Place, um, which um, it was written by Shar White, an incredible playwright and screenwriter. 
in, um, uh, he lives in upstate New York and he had had this play produced on Broadway with starring Laurie Metcalf in, in 2014 and Joe Mantello directed it. And um, I had done a reading for it for a thing called Play Purview, which is a, a, a COVID based, uh, basically fundraising tool and where people, we do play readings and online and people buy tickets and on Zoom and um, all the proceeds went to out of, go to out of work actors and, and people that work in, in theater and stage. Um, so that was a really powerful experience and we were very lucky then to be able to bring it here and then have, um, you know, Renato Fabretti, who I nicknamed Sisyphus, uh, <laughs> get, it, get it, get it done. Um, and Lucy- Push that rock up the hill. Yeah, it perpetually, and it kept, you know, he really, really did make it happen. And along with a lot of, a lot of people, it wasn't just, it's never just one person, is it? It's a, it is the village. And so it was Renato and Lucy Kate Westbrook and um, many other people, um, Rena Freeberg, there is so many people and that came together in local businesses um, and how he funded it to get Fremantle Theater Camp uh, Company started and, um, and, and government and a lot, talking to a lot of people who really, at the end of the day, felt like it would be really great for uh, the culture of, of WA and, um, and Fremantle to put on a play for people and uh, bring people together after all this isolation. And um, so we were really thrilled about that. And everyone I worked with was incredible. And we just lucked out in this strange circumstances. Originally, we were speaking to this beautiful director and um, based in Sydney, Imara Savage, but you know we couldn't get her in because of um, the restrictions. And, yes. uh, you know, and of course, it's just still viewed that that's not an essential worker. Um, an artist isn't, you know, viewed that way in in, in, in theater anyway, unfortunately. So, um, but fortunately for us, Chris Edmond was here and we, what a delight and genius to be able to get to work with him. You know, I don't know if some of you don't know, he ran WAPA for 30 years and was there when, uh, you know, under Hugh Jackman's reign and, or education and, and Jai Courtney, who I just did a movie with was there. Mm -hmm. and so it was just a delight and it was, but it was an odd way. I mean, I was just like, I want to do this play. And I met Lucy Kate and she's like, yeah. And then she's like, you should come see this great space. My friend has Victoria Hall. And I'm like this, you have to do a play here. Like you have to do a play here. It's an amazing building. It's got great juju, if you will. It's like, kind of do a play here. So it all sort of came together and worked. And at that time there were still restrictions. We didn't even know if that could happen. And so it was a really magical, sort of alchemy moment of things really really working out. And then Dalip Sandi being in town, Marar Wangai being available, all the great people that came together are set design. It was just an incredible experience. So to, to, to answer your question, the set designers, the costume designers are people that work across theater and film and television. And they were all in the lighting people. I mean, they're all world-class. And that was something that I got straight away when I started meeting people and meeting Screen West and talking to independent producers and uh, lawyers and, um, you know, directors and assistant directors and um, that there's a lot of talent, post-production, special effects, visual effects. I heard that there's just a ton of talent here and that, you know, like a lot of places, you just have to go away to get jobs. So it, I was like, for me, it was, it wasn't just, of course, it's beautiful and all my walking up and down the beach. Um, I've been fortunate enough to sort of, you know, be uh, here in the in the Western suburbs, being able to walk down that coastline. Um, 
and the light and the town, but also the city and how beautiful it is, I think, and, and the geography of it and, um, and the myriad locations in geography. So there's so much to, to wanna do here. And then it became, it was very, very quickly, people were like, well, we don't, we only get location shoots usually or, or limited series that are WA, you know, local series, if you will, um, because there's not a studio which means there's no access to federal money, Commonwealth mm -hmm. money, I mean, and um, we're not on the map at all. That's why no one in LA is like, where everyone's like, where's Perth again? Western Australia, what, what happens there? And it's not to be insulting or dismissive or, you know, but absolutely ignorant, but it's just true of people. If there's, for, for this industry, for television, film, particularly there, if there's a studio, that's just it, then you're on the map. And then you have access to money and you have people that will come and, and make things here. Um, already in the Eastern States, it's booked out for the next couple of years with studios and and it's a, a, a very thriving business. So, and I think what used to be prohibitive is now obviously very attractive being the, you know, Perth being the most isolated city in the world. But even beyond COVID, it's, a, it's for me, hearing about that there, as you've said, Stuart, that there's been this advocating for a studio here for, you know, three decades, um, that I was like, well, even if it isn't happened now, it's gonna happen in the next five years because it just has to, because of the state of, because of what has happened because of COVID. Um, there is a massive deficit of places to shoot. Yeah. And you know, and I also, even before that, I'm like, who cares? People send people to Johannesburg. If you're going to fly someone to Johannesburg, you can fly people to Perth. So that whole logistics thing, isn't it? So it really is about having a studio here. Um, and so it, weirdly, I've, you know, the, the loud squeaky wheel over here, the uh, ugly American has made some noise and, you know, gotten to meet some people. And if we're, and, and I think there's real movement and I think there's, um, I'm going to knock cardboard in my head but hopefully that it will will get a good answer from government and approval to get a studio built. Fantastic do you find Kate that your profile allows you to well I imagine it does allow you to you know certain doors would open and, and conversations can be had that might not be uh, as easily accessible to people who who don't have the profile is that a factor that you you take some degree of responsibility over and, and, and hold as something that 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 you you need to um, acknowledge that that's a fact and that it, there's a responsibility with what you do with that. Yeah, I think it also. Listen, I feel very lucky. I definitely um, worked my ass off, and this I've, I've been acting since I was a little kid. I did a lot yeah. of waiting. I uh, I don't have any. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't feel like any uh, guilt or entitlement, excited, healthy entitlement, but I also think it's a time in, in one's life and career where like, I've been really fortunate to have a very robust and, and um, fun and challenging and, and interesting um, career for, for me anyway. And, and it just sort of naturally evolves into wanting to expand and give back and not even like give back it's more like oh what can i do like i acting's great and i feel like i said very lucky but it's producing is really fun for me um and creating in other ways and creating jobs that's always been one of the wonderful things i think about um particularly television and film is just the amount of jobs you create with any show or any yes. film 
suddenly you've got mm, somewhere between two and 300 people working for, you know, months or years. Yeah. That's, and the ripple effect of that, of like, and that's the thing about WA that's so interesting to me is that, you know, it's not just arts and culture, it's actually jobs and it's an industry and it's, in its tourism and its hotels and its real estate and its restaurants and its um, culture. And it's, you know, um, just, it, it just, it ripples. The ripple effect of this business is, is vast. So um, that's um, really exciting. So I, I felt like, um, you know, with wanting to be very cautious because I'm new here and I don't know, obviously all of the uh, history, there's no way I could but trying to be very respectful and, and um, do what I can to just support. And, and, and just from my point of view, if it, you know, if it may, there was sort of, again, this weird alchemy, perfect storm of events with this pandemic. And um, obviously tourism taking a massive hit, but then not because more WA people are home than ever. Um, so people are traveling around the state, but that things that there's a real opening for new industry, I think. And, yeah. um, and there's a real opportunity for, I think, too, these kind of great titans of industry here in, in WA and in, in mining and in agriculture and all the, you know, the, the, the big industries to pitch in and, and, and help and, and support that because any great culture has to have art. And, and, um, and uh, you know, so it's, um, it's a very exciting time. Absolutely, I, I wholeheartedly concur. Art and culture is the the very uh, fabric of society, and if we lose that, we're in. Uh, I mean, look at everyone's problem. consuming. Everyone's been watching Netflix or, and consuming. That's what. That's why we're at. I mean, I yeah, don't know. The first thing people turn to in the pandemic yeah. was um, their you know favorite songs and music that gets them through, uh, dancing and Netflix and storytelling, you know, yeah. reading books so, to kids and all of that. It's so important. And one of the things that I, I talk about with when I was talking to meeting with, you know, arts and culture minister and, and the state treasurer and, and different government people, as well as um, developers is not just, you know, the deficit of, you know, studios, but that the model in the U.S. that I think that I like and that I think is viable here is in Los Angeles, when in California, when they stopped giving tax credits, um, uh, they or you know rebates basically, they yeah. moved the industry to different states. So states that had never had a thriving film industry or television industry, like New Mexico or you know, Georgia, are now or South Carolina or North Carolina, they're now epicenters. Toronto, I mean, there are places that were like, oh, we'll give you a credit. So if you build it, they'll come. And if you give the tax credit, so you have to have a credit and you have to have the studio and then people will come. And when, to go back to, in terms of skill level and talent, there's a mass, I think there's a massive amount of talent here. And I think people will come back and what people, and what can also happen is people can very quickly be trained here that don't necessarily have the skills you learn. You know, you have department heads. If you're short here, you have them come in from elsewhere and teach people and mm -hmm. then you um, but it's absurd to me that there's this world-class WAPA here and that everybody has to leave to get a job. That's nuts to me. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's long been an issue is the, um, the talent drain and certainly there's so much opportunity here and uh, a wonderful, wonderful lifestyle. Um, 
talking about talent, let's let's just segue to yours and, and your acting process, Kate. I mean, one of the things I find, uh, well, both as an actor and as a, as a director, is the vast range of approaches that actors can take to the craft, how they approach um, researching a role and exploring the role in the rehearsal room, the different um, timeframes that actors arrive at the final final product, so to speak. When, when you um, are talking to your agent and um, scripts are coming in, what are the sorts of roles that, that excite you, that inspire you? What do you look for when it comes to your, your ideal in storytelling? Well, great writing. Mm. I mean, it, it varies with different projects, I would say. Um, great writing is like a given, um, but you don't always get great writing. Um, but there's a great role there. You know, or you've got, oh, that person's going to make it or be in it. And so you have them attached. Like, oh, I'd like to work with that person. But really, it has to be the like, but I've done some indie films or whatever films that are like, well, the script's not super strong, but I think we can go in and work on it. Mm -hmm. And um, and with this actor or this director or, be, you know, you know, you can, we can really kind of find something and make it. But writing, I would say, is where it starts. Um, and then uh, for me, in terms of, roles i just like playing different things and particularly after having played you know my tv doctor role for almost a decade between grays and um and private practice i was like you know as an actor you're like all you want to do is make it and make a living and you're so excited mm -hmm. for me i was 36 or 37 when i got on grays and and uh I've been a luckily quietly working actor, making a living at it. But even still, I didn't make a full living full time until I was like 29, 28, mm -hmm. 29. And um, when I could finally, you know, hang <laughs> up my waitressing uh, kit. <laughs> but I, there were many times where I was like, see you suckers, bye. And then I'd be <laughs> like, can I pick up some shifts? Cause that job, <laughs> I didn't make it after all. Yeah. Um, but um but at any rate, my point is, is that, you know, you get on a show like Grey's, no one could ever anticipate it's going to be a massive hit. And then, oh my God, I'm going to do a spinoff. And usually spinoffs don't work, but that worked. Yay mm -hmm. for all of us. And then you're like, but wait a minute, I'm playing this role. Oh my God, I'm bored. You know, like, so that's where the perfume business came out of because yeah. I was creative. I was like, I'm all respect, but I've been a <laughs> doctor and, you know, really um, <laughs> madly and, and quite you know, delivering babies, like not well or well, depending on what episode for a long time. And I, so, so I um, was, you know, you just, I, so after I got out of, out, out of, it's like a jail, no, after I finished private practice, I was like, I just want to, I had like sort of an allergy to anything that was longer than a few episodes or a yeah. short commitment. And um, cause I want to play different roles. So that's really what like just different roles that yeah. And there's always like different projects bring, bring, brings different, you know, the handler, for instance, for Umbrella Academy, you know, my buddy who ran the writer's room on private practice and then worked with Noah Hawley. He was one of the writers on season one and two of Fargo. So on season one, he called, he's like, oh, there's a role you got to come in for, you know, this role Gina Hess. And I was like, okay. And so he, um, his name's Steve Blackman and he then created Umbrella Academy or adapted it from the graphic novel and, he said, you know, he sent me the script. He's like, we wrote this part for John Hamm. He's not going to do it. Do you want And I'm like, that's the first sloppy seconds after John Hamm. But, um, you know, maybe it's the strong jawline, the big hands. I don't know, whatever. But I was like, okay, well, send me the script. And 
he's like, we don't have any money because we just already spent on our series regulars, but but we, 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 you can kind of do whatever you want with it. And I read it and I loved it. And I was like, don't change it though, because of the gender, you know? Cause yeah. especially like, I don't know if anybody saw, but in season one, there was this bathroom scene where it was originally written for like, you know, the John Hamm type and, and number five, Aiden's character at the urinal, you know, and they're having that one of those typical sort of, you know, intimidating, weird conversations, but it's like, just leave it and I'll be on, in the toilet, you know, don't change anything for the gender. And do you have a wig budget? And a costume budget. And he's like, yeah. So I'm like, all right. And so, you know, we worked with fabulous Christopher Hargaden, who's an amazing costume designer on the show and his staff of incredible milliners and cutters. And I mean, they create everything and the hair and makeup department, they were just incredible. So that was that. Like, oh, I'm going to create this archetype from a graphic mm. novel. And I've not done that. So I'm really excited about that. You know, obviously very different from um, being a TV doctor or from being, you know, Gina Hess on Fargo or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it looked like you had a lot of fun on, on Umbrella Academy. It looked like yeah. a, a fantastic opportunity to be creative and to, to play with that. And I think it's a great... Um, you know, testament to the idea that you, you you never know what direction your career's going to head in. You know, that's you, true. That's true. Again, I asked you, you know, a year before that, do you imagine you'd be playing a role originally written for John Hamm? You know, <laughs> get out of here! No way. But well, you it's never also know. That, yeah, it's that thing. It's high stakes gambling. You know, it really is. And I think the the older you get, if you're lucky enough to still work or have a have a career, it's like. Are you comfortable enough to still do it? And for me, I, you know, some people love this consistency of, of television and that steady check in which I totally get if you have a family, like if you've got kids in school and you've got, but for me, I've, I've been fortunate enough to kind of roll the dice and go and see what's next, you know? Yeah. So talking about the long form TV series, Kate, if you're working on Grey's or private practice and you're in that role, you said, you know, started to intimate that after a certain point it gets boring you want to be creatively challenged in different roles and so on how do you maintain that discipline how do you deal with the pressures of of you know filming every day on a long form tv series where you're filming during the day and learning lines for your next scenes that night what's your strategy yeah, what, there's a few things that happen one is like it, it's usually for me like you know probably at the end right about when i was doing this got the spinoff, I was like, and I've played this role. It's been three seasons or two and a half because we started as a mid-series, uh, mid-season replacement. And I'm like, I've done kind of creatively everything I can do with it. Um, I've slept with everyone at the hospital. I've lost a lot of babies. I've saved some. Um, <laughs> I've worn all these great shoes. I'm done. And then she's like, we have a spinoff. We want to do that. It's sort of an offer you can't refuse. You're like, all right. And um, then it was all, and it was a whole new cast. It was a whole new thing. And it was, that was a whole like growing and learning curve because then you're the lead of a show and they want to make the character more likable. So then you, they kind of take away everything that makes it interesting. Then you try yeah. to get back. And so there's all that and that's exhausting. And it's 80 did, hours. Did you have much input and sway with the creative direction of yeah. the characters I mean, and the story and the story it's very Shonda wrote I mean when Shonda's a, I think an ingenious writer an incredible writer but when you start getting other people interpreting her work or whatever then it's then it becomes more like you have to give more notes and it's a little it's hard it's not there it's not in their brain it's not in their psyche so 
it was a lot more work on that show, particularly in the beginning to kind of get it on track. And there were several different people that she sort of um, had running it, which was great, great opportunities. But then they have, you have to go, no, this is who Addison is. And this is who Violet is. And this is who Pete is, you know, like we're not just interchangeable chess pieces. So chess, oh my God, Queen's Gambit. Anyway, I, I, like <laughs> I should just quit acting because Queen's Gambit happened, but, um, <laughs> but whatever. I, um, but isn't it great to be inspired by other people's work? You know, when you see another TV series or another play well, and think, wow. You know, you're asking and how to stay interested watching great work reading but also going to class like I went back to class uh, or I have this amazing coach that I had found a class has always been um critical for me to keep me like to keep like because you're like when you're lucky you know when you finally make it you're like yay <laughs> great finally and then you're like oh now how do I keep interested when you know when there's a fight and you have that obstacle of like I just want to get the job and then you get mm -hmm. like, all right I got there so how do I stay interested in this and so classes and or coach great coaches or and then of course other life and art and literature and then the older you get and the more and one of the great things about doing network television where you are working 10 months out of the year doing 22 to 24 episodes it's a grind and like I would never be able to do it again but you get better because you're doing it all the time. Mm -hmm. And so what happens too is it's easier to memorize lines. You sort of sight memorize. Like you're like, oh, I'm like, oh, okay, I got that. Like, because your brain, there's a neurological pathway that's now been yeah. drilled in there. And it's like where all the medical goes, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. and with that, I, mean, I often find the same thing if you're learning a, uh, an audition piece, for example, at the last minute and it sits in this part of your brain as opposed to, you know, the longer term how do you as an actor what's your technique for doing that kind of sight reading learning that's on the fly because you're working so quickly in long form tv how do you translate that into an embodied memory that's a great question i think that this may sound very superficial but i don't think it is costumes help a lot for sure. me always like you know, I joke, it's like they say the bride, when they put the veil on, they're the bride, you know, or something. But it's, it, maybe it's a cheesy metaphor, but it, it's, a, or an analogy, I don't know what that would be. But I, as soon as like you're in scrubs and you become this other person, like, or I'm in that weird, crazy corset that I pitched for the handler. And you're suddenly like this weird robot lady, crazy psycho. And, and, um, that so there's a certain like like uh, physical sense memory too or as soon as you put the white coat on or stuff or whatever the, the the character is that um and things just to happen and I think I will say this one of the things I'm very grateful for it was part of my training and I did a lot of it at Piven Theater Workshop where I trained in Evanston um outside of Chicago um it's where Johnny Cusack came from and obviously Jeremy Piven um and Aidan Quinn and Lily Taylor and Joan Cusack. And, and it was all based on Viola Spolin theater games and um, and really yes ending in Chicago, obviously it's very famous for improv, comedy improv, Second City, but just improv and it was very much group theater and very much everyone leaning in to serve the bigger piece, which is the story. Yeah. And, and that was ingrained in me and um, and really served me well on and anything I've done, meaning the ability to say yes and to the given, whatever is happening in front of you, because it's never gonna be 
like it was in the audition. It's never going to be like it was at the table read. It's never going to be, you know, they say as a director and writer that you're going to have five different movies. That movie you had in your head, the movie you wrote, the movie you shot, the movie in the editing room, and then the movie that comes out after the studio gives no, you know. So there's, it's it's always changing and the ability to go with the flow and still like not be so married to your ideas or, no, but it was this way and constant and with network television and with also movies, it's like, there's constant rewrites or you're like, well, I thought it was going to be here and now we're shooting it there. So to be the ability to just go, all right, now I'm in the kitchen. It was written as being in the bedroom. Fine. We're going with that. So resistance is futile and that, <laughs> and you start acknowledging even the micro transactions of like, Oh, I'm scrubbing my hands at this scrub sink. And now that's not working. Or, Oh, I hurt myself. So now I'm acknowledging that there's like a little cut there and that doesn't that affects how I'm going to say the lines. So that physical embodiment, I think it's similar to the neural pathways that it happens. And, and then that's why it's really fun to do theater because for me, that's where it's still my favorite medium because right. yeah. full embodiment and there's a process. And more and more, unfortunately, in the way film and television is made these days, even if it's a streamer or it's the best writing in a massive budget, you don't get, you really don't get a lot of rehearsal time. It's mostly for, for blocking. And particularly the show like Umbrella Academy where it's green screen, a lot of it is tech and all the visual effects. We used to call it um, Filter Academy because there were so many filters on the cameras. I'm like, are we shooting a show about filters? Are we going to actually try to do a scene here? And it's frustrating that yeah. you're like, so for me, I had the, in the last 10 years, I've always rehearsed before with uh, a coach come in with my lines memorized. And then if it changes, it changes. Um, with the, with this play, I didn't, we didn't have time because it came together so quickly. So I was like, grinding out line rehearsals after regular rehearsals. But Chris Edmond was amazing because he just has this way of letting the space happen and, and holding a great container and sort of going like that, a little bit like that and letting people find it. And there wasn't this pressure or fear and anxiety. You have the luxury of four weeks of rehearsal to explore. And then when you, and then again, it changes when you do the play, it changes from the rehearsal room and then you're like, now I'm on the stage. Now I'm in my costume. Now we're in previews. Now it's a lot. Oh, it's opening. That's a whole other beast. Oh my gosh. Now we're in a run and you mm -hmm. keep exploring and keep finding and keep reaching and finding ways to connect and explore. I guess the coffee kicked in. That was a very long. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's lovely because it's that thing, isn't it? That, that for live theater, every performance is different because every audience is different. And it's that energistic exchange. You have to acknowledge. You have to say yes mm -hmm. to all of it, right? Mm -hmm. The thing of even on sets, like, oh, cut, because this is not going right. And you have to get, you're irritated. If you're irritated about that, one take, you might be, oh, I understand. There's an airplane flying through. We have to cut. The next take, you're like, mother. <laughs> you know, and then you have to acknowledge that and go, oh, now, now I'm a little angry. So, like, let that come out in some way and through the filter of this character. Like, don't mm -hmm. deny it, you know? So... Yeah. So you would have worked with countless guest actors coming through on the TV series. Yeah. People who pop in from what, what we call in Australia, you know, 20 worders or 50 worders. Um, and especially for a, a young emerging actor, maybe first time out of drama school, getting a gig on a TV series and think, oh, my God, I'm, I'm, I'm working with Kate Walsh and oh, all the nerves are playing in. What sort of advice would you give to someone in that situation? Um, and you, you may have, this might be an an extension of the answer you, you just gave about being open to the moment. But 
what sort of mistakes have you seen and what sort of advice would you give to, to people stepping on a, a film or TV set for the first time where you don't have the luxury of knowing the crew really well and so on? You're, you come yeah. in, you do a bit and you leave. I mean, it's a really interesting question and it's, I don't know how to respond to it except there's myriad ways. I mean, I've seen people, listen, we've all done it, even, you know, series regulars where we it's like falling down a rabbit hole when you get stuck or you can't set a line right. And I've seen, I mean, literally that we've, I've been on, like it happens to all of us at a certain hour or a certain loss of concentration. Suddenly you're like, oh God, here they go. And you just have to wait. And it's easier, obviously, when you're, it's someone, but the pressure that you feel as a guest artist coming in, do it right and get in and get out. But yeah, it's really challenging. But I think that part of the responsibility of the show is to try to make it a good environment for a guest. Like we would always go, welcome, you know, we're really happy you're here. Like it's like, it's the culture of the show. That doesn't always happen. So I think that um, if you're coming in as a guest, I don't know, I, I would say that because you don't want the energy of the set to, you want to acknowledge it, but you don't want it to throw your concentration off. Mm -hmm. So I think that the other thing is yes and but stay out of people pleasing like you don't need yeah, to sure. please them or like really have a great deep solid connection or be like hey i'm really happy to be like to feel healthy entitlement and do whatever you have to do to protect that it's sort of like when i go into an audition for so many years i would audition and the way i calm myself down is to connect with people and make a joke and like chat you know first and then i was like this is not serving me well because i would go in and i chat with everybody and then I've kind of screwed myself because I'm like, now I have to go do my job. And I'm like, yeah. wait, so, so. Finding the balance, isn't it, between being comfortable yeah. and trivial, but not losing the reason that you're there. Yeah. It took me a long time to realize and figure out, oh, I got to, I can say that. And I had to talk to a lot of people that have more experience than me and coaches and teachers to say, you can just say very kindly, hi, I'm going to talk to you after I just want to come in and do, you know, or I'm ready to go. And then, um, you know, so yeah. I think that's it. It's like, just, you're not there to socialize. That's the other thing. Like you don't have to be a part of their club. And it's really weird when you see come into a, your guest and everyone's like, it's sort of like being in Perth when you didn't grow up here and you're <laughs> in the Western <laughs> suburbs. You're like, oh, you guys all went to school together. Got it. Um, I'm new, <laughs> but no, I'm uh, only half kidding. But, you know, you don't, don't try to, like I, I would say like to just, you don't have to uh, make friends with everybody or even just, just go in and do your job and then get out, you know? And if people happen to go, Hey, great work. Or, Oh, it's nice to meet you. Or if you come on a set where they're really welcoming, yay. But if not, then you're not like, Oh my God, these people are cold or weird. It's just like, you're there to do your thing. And, you know. And what about working with different directors, Kate? How do you find you manage and navigate that? That's, I mean, it's like working with any different actors and different directors. It depends if it's such an individual experience. Mm -hmm. um, in television where you're doing episode upon episode, you know, usually it's different. Like in stream, you have regular, kind of a regular cadre of, or directors or that come in or, and you get new people too. Um, but it, it depends if it's like a network show where you do it, you know, which are very, are more few and far between now, the 22 episodes. 
you, the thing is the directors are usually the guests in a way because the character people that are there are the actors all the time so they know their characters more than anybody else so it's really not a lot of um, acting directing it's more blocking yeah um, whereas in streaming it's more like a film so because you're doing 10 or 13 episodes and you usually have a director come to do two episodes in a, in a block and then um so you get to know that and they're more, um, I wouldn't say actual, but it's more like a film director where they're gonna have a vision and they're gonna have, um, they're still gonna be beholden to the showrunner and you know, the, the, the vibe of the, of, the, of, the, uh, of the show. But, um, but that's a little more of an interesting experience for me, I would say, like you get a little more, you know, acting values or, um, you know, but again, in film and television, so much of it is they want to block and shoot, block and shoot. And it's mm -hmm. you a couple of takes, you know? Um, so it's about being brave in a way, isn't it? Yeah. About and so for me, the way they- Brave, yeah. bold decisions and backing yourself and- Yeah. And so for me, the way I become brave is preparing before. And sure. working with other people, whether that be mm -hmm. friends or coaches, lines, definitely. I always do- um, line rehearsals, like I said, and I do it with um, a person, you know, or on Zoom and then record it on my phone. So I have the scene, but it, so I'm not worrying or thinking about that at all. And I can be as free as possible. Yeah. On set. Great. Good preparation. Excellent. I'd like to throw now to our audience whether you'd like to ask about acting process um, with regards to film, TV, Netflix series, or if there's any anything specific about uh, career choices, and uh, well, over to you. Any any questions from our audience? Okay, thanks, Aiden. Hi, Kate. Um, thank you Hi. for doing. I've really enjoyed this. Um, when you do green screen acting, as you said, you don't have a lot of time to rehearse except when you're blocking. So, how do you prepare to go in and talk to a green screen or nothing? That's a great question. I think that you, it's just really imagining a lot, but I don't even, um, for me, it's about the other person in the scene. So like, for instance, um, I think in season one of Umbrella Academy, the whole scene where the handler, there, I don't know if you've seen it, but there was a scene where there was a road, like a meeting where she meets number five in a row with a suitcase, the briefcase. And it was supposed to be in these crossroads in the, you know, out in the sticks. And we were on a stage and, you know, I was about 30 feet away from them. And then we walked towards each other and we're, and they tell you what's happening and they show you on the screen, like on a little, you know, the graphic of what it's going to be when you go in. And then you're just pretending. <laughs> but it's really about the person and the relationship. And then you have a director that's like, okay, remember you're outside, you know, in the middle of nowhere and we're going to have wind effects or whatever. So you want to speak up like you're like speaking to him across this high, you know, these roads coming together. So um, there's that. And then there's the other weird thing of like, particularly with Umbrella Academy, like in season two, I have to eat this fish. And then you're just like, I hope that it looks all right and not just like I'm giving a very awkward blowjob and I'm trusting all of you in editing to make it look good and you go up and you're just a really insecure actor and you say to the director over please tell me that looks okay please tell me it looks okay and like I just you know whatever and that's so yeah. again that, that kind of comes down doesn't it Kate to what you said before about being part of the mise-en-scene and knowing that you are one one cog in the machine and if you you do your bit then you you trust that everyone else will 
complete the picture. And that's it. I mean, that's really it is trust ultimately. And then, and then abdicating control at all. Like I used to not, I don't really love watching myself because it was too painful to see the film or the product or so different from the experience that I had making it. You know what I mean? And I think that's what I love about theater is the experience that I had is the experience that I had. And I can revel in it. I can explore it. I can say, oh, that was interesting or that was weird or that was cool. And and then it's gone. Whereas with film and television, you're like, I have this moment in a scene. I don't even know if it's going to be in it because they may have cut it or like shoot it in a way or cut it in a way where that energy and that rhythm that I found is not really there on the screen. So that was like, I found that after a while to be kind of painful other than looking at all the flaws that I see and whatever, like the hard, that's a whole other, you know, kettle of fish. But, but that's, uh, yeah. Thank awesome. you. Any other questions? Hi Kate, um, I'd love to ask you a question. Um, firstly, uh, you are just a wonderful and fine actress and lady, so thank you so much for your generosity um, today just sharing with us all. It can feel as you age as a female that there's not a place for you in the film and TV industry if you haven't established yourself securely, I guess. Like, I guess for myself, I'm like, 31 should have like established that um, regular role six years ago. Uh, what advice or what of your experience can you share that might be helpful in terms of navigating your 30s and 40s staying resilient envisioning where you see yourself and really carving out your place in um, the industry that's uh, thank you by the way for all those nice things you said yes it's really great this is i i love doing these things i love talking i love sharing and connecting i think this is how we you know we progress and and get information and find solutions. So I don't know if I can be helpful, except that for me, I just, like I said, I didn't make a proper living and I didn't get a series regular role until I was into my thirties. And, but I just, it was such a different industry then as well. Like that's something to consider. There's many more opportunities now in odd ways because of the internet and because of so much, there's such a vast amount of content that there wasn't before. There was like film and television and there wasn't even really, there was like HBO and then all the rest of TV, which was three networks. And then, you know, so I just was like, honestly just kept doing it because it was the only thing that I could do. I didn't even think about age. I really didn't, I guess. And I was also fortunate enough to get into a, a show like with Grays that was run by a woman and was writing, it was like this sort of revolutionary moment of writing, you know, it was a time where, well, also Sex in the City happened and then Desperate Housewives was happening. So there were these interesting roles for women that were not you know, now you could argue it's kind of nighttime soap a little bit, you know, or whatever, but it was still an interesting multifaceted roles for women. And it wasn't about, there wasn't any age or, you know, mm -hmm. it, was, it was, and there wasn't any ethnicity blinders on either. So she was doing something that was quite revolutionary. Um, but even before that, I, I don't know, I, I just kept doing it. And I kept doing, I always did theater. Even in New York, when I was waitressing, I was I did a lot of improv, a lot of long form improv. So I would go wait tables and then go do a late night improv show at 11 o'clock at night. So for me, it was just about the joy, even, and I suffered a lot though. Let me be really clear. When I say I was a bitter waitress, like 
I mean, I was, and I, there are many times that I wanted to give up. And my brother who I'm very close to was like, you can't, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'll teach. He's like, you dropped out of college. So what else? I was like, well, um, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that's helpful. What, what else kept you going, Kate? Those times we thought that's it. I've had enough. I want to give up. But you, you stayed in there. You kept going. You found that resolve and resilience. You know, I would, I would, what I would say is you find the people that really nurture you and support mm -hmm. you. Like, and there were a few casting directors that were like, I got you, girl. And I'm going to bring you in. I went in, you know, every, it's a joke in New York that everybody lives in New York does an episode of Law and Order. <laughs> I think Law and Order is canceled now, or maybe it's just Special Victims Unit, so now or whatever. But it was like a joke. Like, if you don't get an episode of Law and Order and you've lived in New York, you're there's something wrong. And I literally, it was like my eighth audition. And I was like, I am not going in again. They don't like me. I don't, it's not. And they're like, the, but you just go, go. And I, that's the one I got. And, it, and, um, and, uh, <laughs> You know, it's perseverance, but it's also finding your fans, finding the people that nurture you. And even if it isn't a casting director or someone that's a producer or a director in the industry or a writer, you find your people in your community that you do. And that's why for me, live stuff like theater, improv, whatever, even doing a writer's group or, and, or you meet and read a play together or read scenes, like that's the thing that kept me going and interesting because you're creating the creative part is what keeps you going. Yeah. And that's the thing. So I have a like a long waitressing shift where I wouldn't get tipped by anybody. There's no minimum wage. I mean, the minimum wage is pathetic in the States. You guys get paid a good minimum wage. If I were maybe waitressing here, I may still be a waitress. Let's be honest. If I was making like 26 bucks an hour, I'd be like, I don't really know if I need to act. I could, you know, but I was like sleeping head to foot in the same bed with a lot of different people. So, um, <laughs> So you, you, you draw a creative sucker from creative. the people around you and your friends yeah, you find and family your and your network and that, yeah, that provides you with a, a foundation. Yeah. yeah, and that's why I always found theatre, even in, in Chicago, in New York, um, you find your people. And in L.A., even when I was doing TV and film, I would go, I um, did, I worked with the Actors Gang, which was Tim Robbins Theatre Company. Mm -hmm. It still works and it's called Comedia based. So I do Comedia workshops. I did a play with them. That's the thing that would keep my soul fed and the artist part of me. And I'd, I'd say that that's the thing is that, look, we live in a culture that's incredibly weird and ageist and sexist and racist and everyist. <laughs> you know, it's like, but if you if you pay attention to that, then then you, yeah, it's like just go back to bed or go, you know what I mean. So that's just finding finding your people. Thank you. Yeah, great and. Thank you. Um, and and it's, it's, it's the role of art and culture in society that's going to help to push those changes in society with regards to sexism and ageism and racism and all of those things. And things are shifting, but we yeah. need to keep pushing it forward, don't we? That's um, true. Alex, so have we got any more questions from any other of our audience members? Ruth, I was like, Ruth, you're <laughs> beautiful. I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> Hi Kate, thank you so much. Um, I I think I watched Grey's Anatomy from the very start, probably for about ten years, and then I can't believe it's still going. And then Private Practice as well. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah, I've just I've watched your career, and and I think you're a fantastic actress. I'm really curious, what was the audition process like for Grey's Anatomy? Because of course you went into it not knowing it's 
still going to be going in 2020, still going strong. Um, and did it have multiple callbacks? And you talked about coaching. Did you get coaching for it? And did you did you walk out of your first audition from there thinking, I've got this? Um, this was an interesting process um, in that with that one, I had been, again, just a working actor and done, did a big movie with Will Ferrell. I'd been like a, like middle-class, we'd call it a working actor, very, very, um, and, and going all over and doing a lot of recurring and some uh, series regulars. You do, we used to do a pilot every year and then, you know, that either gets picked up or not, like all that, those back in those days. So I was doing another show recurring and I, I forget where I was shooting, somewhere in Seattle or, or San Francisco. And Linda Lowy, who cast Grey's and as well as Friday Night Lights, as well as like Private Practice and 300 other shows. She's amazing. She's um, always been a fan. Again, a casting director, you find your people. And um, she um, loves Chicago actors, particularly she's married to one, Jeff Perry, who played on, um, you know, Scandal in Shondaland. Um, and she had brought me in. I had met her. I did a tiny, I'd read for her for, uh, I think, a, a couple of things that I didn't get. One was like a Lucille Ball story, a biopic that I think Deborah Messing got because I was redhead at the time. And, and then, but she remembered me and she called after I just bought a house, I thought I'll never travel again. I'm going to be house poor. And she said, do you want to go do, it's like two days, it's a tiny part, but it shoots in, in Rome. It's, it's this film called Under, Under the Tuscan Sun. And it's just a tiny part, but it shoots in Rome for two weeks. So I'm like, yeah. And I had just seen Roman, Roman Holiday at Lachman. I'm like, I'll never travel again. But anyway, I, so I'm rambling. So I go, I do that and play Sandra O's girlfriend come back and then however many months or within a year Linda Lowy you know is no like Sean like this show's happening and they create this character and she's and so she's like I've got this part for you that I know is like yours like it's yours and I want to bring you in and have Sean to meet you and I couldn't come and I couldn't come because I was out of town shooting this other thing and then she brought me in for Shauna and at that time it was Peter I can't remember his last name and, and a couple other producers but it was like four people in a room and I read with Linda's casting assistant and I got the job immediately. And it was great writing. And I didn't, I got the sides, but it was such great writing. It was that witty kind of acerbic, smart, rat-a-tat-tat kind of Nick and Nora thing. And I don't think it was the names, you know, Derek and Addison, I don't remember what they had it. Uh, and, but I contend that I got the part, but she said they were seeing people and she kept saying to Shonda, I have the person, I have the, I know who's gonna play this part. And, which is such a great compliment, obviously. And, but she also was the one who, Linda Lowy was the one who for the Nazi brought in Chandra Wilson. It was written as a petite blonde, like little Nazi, you know, <laughs> like this little ball busting kind of fascistic nurse or like that runs the, the interns in the hospital. And Linda was like, or, or, Chandra Wilson, you know? And so it takes everybody leaning in to go, let's think of things differently. Cause I contend, I know, had I had to go to a network and audition with Patrick Dempsey, they wouldn't have hired me. I'm taller, I'm not taller than him, but I am with heels, you know? I'm like, not, you know, and I was told many, many times, you're too tall, you're too big, you're too this, you're too that. So it took a little bit of luck and um, a lot of tenacity, but a lot of support and a different way of going about things. And I think that's another thing is that my ideas were very different from what happened in life. 
you know, I went to Chicago thinking, I'm going to work at Steppenwolf. Can't wait. I can't wait. And I never worked at Steppenwolf. <laughs> I didn't, they didn't want, you know, they have an ensemble and I didn't get into it. <laughs> and it's like, okay, but I did a lot of other great work. I'm like, I went to New York, like, I'm going to work with a Wooster group. I was like, hey, hey, Wooster group, I'm here. And they were like, we're not interested. And um, that doesn't mean that I didn't do other great work and got to go work at ontological theater and all these other great places. But nothing's, what I'm saying is it was a sideways way of getting a job in a way, do you know? Or a very sophisticated way. She's like, I'm bringing you straight to producers. I'm going to bring you the showrunner because I know you're the person. And then it worked out. And it was supposed to be recurring. And then I was doing another pilot, the lead of it. And then, you know, that didn't get picked up. And so they called me back to be a series regular, you know? So it was just this whole, but I know, because I know Dempsey and we're friends, but we, he, we there's no way I would have gotten that. And I know the network, because they, they were very superficial. And they're like, feel a little too, you know, like Meredith looks good with him. She's too big, like that kind of thing. So, yeah. And uh, that, that's a perfect segue to come back to uh, the idea that a career as an actor is about opportunity and about tenacity and about integrity and approaching things from the perspective of honouring the inherent value of storytelling in society. Uh, folks, we've, we've actually run out of time. We could sit here and chat all day. It's been an absolute joy. I would like to okay. thank... <laughs> um, Alex Jones and the Equity Foundation and Media Super and other partners for providing this opportunity, that word again, for us to uh, get to know you and to um, understand a bit about what goes into um, your career. Really appreciate it. And I'd like to also thank everybody who has made the time to zoom in this morning and this afternoon for this opportunity. And also thank you all as creative artists for your commitment passion and dedication to uh, the creative arts in Australia and in New Zealand and around the world and to even though we are at what we hope is the tail end of this pandemic when we've all been put under enormous challenges, certainly equity in Australia has, um, what we do as creative artists, as Kate has, is, is a great testament to across, working across theatre, film and television is important and it matters. Arts Matters, and thank you all. Would you please join me in the traditional Zoom method of thanking our um, guest, Kate Walsh. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Fabulous. What a, what a great session. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. I'm really happy to talk to you. Thank you, Kate. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Stuart, thank you so much. I love you. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Media Super is the principal sponsor of the Equity Foundation. For more information about the work of the foundation, visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow Australian Actors' Equity on Facebook and Twitter.